Hello, and welcome to the BS with Friends podcast, a subsidiary of the Bader and Simon Gallery, scheduled to open in Cincinnati, Ohio in early 2025. I'm your host, Tamara White, founder and board president. A heads up, I'm recording in New York City, and so in addition to our wonderful guest, my radiator will be making an appearance from time to time, so my apologies for the background noise. Today, I'd like to welcome Prajal Dutta, who holds an MS in Architecture and Urbanism from MIT and an undergraduate degree from the School of Planning and Architecture in New Delhi. He has held a visiting faculty position at Columbia University and has previously taught courses at NYU. Today, Prajal, along with his brother Prajit, created the Icon Gallery in New York City to create a platform for Indian and Pakistani artists, among others, to exhibit in the United States with the goal of encouraging dialogue and cross-collaboration between South Asia and the West. Thank you so much for being here, and we appreciate your time. So you have an interesting trajectory that you wear these two hats. On one side is architecture, transportation, I believe. And then on the other side is art. So can you tell us what led you to art and how did you sort of parse out these two separate areas? Sure, sure, sure. So I trained as an architect in India. And then I came to the US to go to grad school. I went to MIT and I did sort of urban design, urban studies, But also with that was some economics, looking at why communities end up being the way they end up being, sort of a larger macro look. And then because my uh, hard skills were in the field of architecture, I sort of drifted back and I did that and I got a job in New York and moved here. And I had grown up in a household where my dad was in the arts. He used to work for the federal government in India and for uh, what would loosely translate as the National Academy of Fine Arts in India. And we had grown up, and this was a time when there was not a lot of commercial activity. There's not a lot of buying and selling of Indian art going on. There was some, but not really. But we had a lot of artists come over to our place. Uh, they were friends with my dad. I saw exhibitions almost on a daily, on a weekly basis. And somewhere deep down, there was this fascination. And the way it panned out was people want to do like, they want to run a restaurant, they want to run a bar, they want to uh, run a bar in Cancun. So even as I had come to New York and I was doing a regular architecture job in commercial architecture in a firm that did high-rise buildings and had a, a, a sustainability kind of thread there in any case, I also started with an online business, purely online for art. And the idea was that people would click on thumbnails and buy art, and which was kind of a silly idea, but it got us started. And after that, you know, it just kept going and going. And we used to be a very small, uh, obviously for an online business, a small office in lower Manhattan, very close to the World Trade Center towers. And then 9-11 happened, we were there. And with 9-11 I mean, it was kind of, there were a lot of people, it became this very difficult place to navigate. So we thought, why don't we move to a different part of town? And now when we move to a different part of town, why don't we also actually open a physical gallery? So this was in 2002. 
We moved to Fifth Avenue between 25th and 26th Streets, opened a gallery. We were on the top floor of a five-floor building, and the gallery took off. It was doing well. So at that point, we said, why don't we try to find a storefront? Why don't we find you know, a street-level property? Because that's kind of the gold standard of uh, art galleries. And so that's when we moved to, in 2008, we moved to our current location, which is on Great Jones Street, which is 3rd Street between Bowery and Lafayette on in sort of NoHo, Lower East Side. And we've kind of modified that a little bit over time. It used to be completely on the ground floor. We now have ground and second floor spaces. We also had briefly a gallery in London, not briefly, uh, for about five years. And we had a gallery in Palo Alto, California, for another eight years almost. But the gallery business has kind of morphed. It's now a lot of the remote selling happens in art fairs. So we have the central base still in New York, but we travel a lot. And uh, that's the sort of quick backstory. Wow, you've been in it. You know, it's really, there's a lot of perseverance and and sticking with it. Yes. And I've also been kind of loath to, uh, so I really love what I do in my other in my day job, uh, which is uh, sustainability and infrastructure and transportation. It is quite tough at times, but I am happy to make that effort to kind of make both things work. And what was your interest in contemporary art? And then why the focus specifically on South Asian contemporary art? Well, South Asian, I'll answer that first, and that's kind of an easy answer because that's where I'm from. And a lot of these artists that I told you about that I was that I grew up around, they're from there. And we started with an, a focus on India, but that's kind of morphed a lot now. So India became South Asia. We have lots of artists from Pakistan, Bangladesh, uh, Sri Lanka. And then it has kind of zoomed out even further. I work a lot with kids of immigrants. So by kids, I mean children. They're not children anymore. They're adults. But artists who are American or European by their own birth and have grown up here, but have sort of cultural background and heritage from South Asia. Once you do that, then they have friends or they went to college somewhere where you know they point out and say, hey, you might want to take a look at her work. Uh, that's quite interesting too. So by now, my practice is quite varied. It's not just South Asia. I would say that's still about 50-60% of the practice, but I do work with other artists. Why contemporary? Because I really find the value add to be there, which is if you are working with an artist who's already well-established, who you know everyone knows, uh, then you are essentially trading. You're you know buying cheap and selling dear. Whereas, so it's very transactional. Whereas I think I like relationships. I like working with people, spotting talent when they're kind of still quite young, uh, working with them. I think that's the big contribution that a gallery can make. And uh, that's, you know, I want to play a role in the success uh, of these very talented people. And how do you find these artists is one question I have. And then the other, I'd be curious to know, your view on sort of who the most important artist in this realm that that you, you know, currently that you find to be really relevant? So that's a little bit of a Groucho Marx answer. Uh, I want to be, I don't want to be the member of a club that'll have me as its member. So basically I, you know, in any ecosystem, you know, um, who's doing good work, 
who are some people. So I'm pitching myself constantly to artists. And then there are a bunch of artists, usually younger, and I'm pitching myself to usually somewhat established artists. And then uh, there are younger artists pitching themselves to me. And in both instances, some fraction works out. So some of the slightly more established contemporary artists will look at my practice and say, "This is I'm a good fit in this roster and will start working with me. And on the other hand, there will be some younger folks whose work I will see and say, hmm, this looks good to me. This looks good, like a good fit to my roster. So I will uh, recruit some of them. Usually for the younger artists, you want to start with maybe a group show with six, eight artists in it. Uh, you see what the world tells you. Some of these people will do very well. Some of them won't do as well. It doesn't matter even if they don't do well. If you kind of believe in the work, then you kind of stick it out a little longer. But if they do well, then you bring them back for maybe instead of all six or eight person group show, you do a, like a two person show or a three person slightly tighter, more work. Uh, and then eventually if that goes well, then you do a solo show. And at that, by then, there's been a few years and there's a good relationship between the artists and you typically, at the point of the solo, you start representing the artist, at least for a given geography. And likewise, I mean, when you are pitching yourself to a well-established artist, you may not go through those solo and small, uh, may not go through the large group and small group, but go straight to a solo show. If that goes well, then you have a subsequent show. Oh, and you said, who are some of the people that... Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in knowing. Yeah, that's a that's that's a little hard because you're basically asking me to pick my favorite child. But I I do like within contemporary, I like people that are have strong uh, skills. Like so, for instance, I like people that are good painters. And currently, I am uh, doing a show of this artist called Abir Karmakar, and he talks about contemporary themes about the present day, and there's a lot of politics in his work. But at the same time, he is also very painterly. He's very skilled. I like his work a lot. I'm very excited about showing the work of Tom Vatakuri, who is a painter based in Caroline, India, who I'm showing next April. There is a Pakistani artist called Adila Suleiman, a woman sculptor. Uh, I really like her work and have worked with her for a long time. Uh, there's an artist I work very, very closely with called G.R. Irana, who was in the Venice Biennale in 2019, in the, which is kind of the holiest of the holies in um, the contemporary art world. Irana and I have been working together since 2006. We are, you know, uh, and this business on both the buy and the sell side for both artists as well as for collectors, you become friends with these people and they, are a part of your life and you're a part of their lives. You know, you go through things, the milestones of life with them. They go through the milestones of their lives with you. I mean, there are many, many names. I, I, this, I have a cohort of about two dozen artists on my, like the full roster. And of them at any given time, about half of them I'm working with very closely because a show has just concluded or a show is coming up or, you know, I'm working with them in an art fair you know, that sort of thing. So there is a, a large group and I just picked a few names in no particular order and not because they are in any way or shape or form qualitatively higher than the others, but these are just names that popped up in my mind, maybe because I'm 
about to do a show or doing a show with them, that sort of thing, yeah. I, um, as you're speaking, I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know how you manage your life and your time because it's almost <laughs> as if you have two full-time jobs. My, I do. My joking question is, do you sleep? You know, when people have these frenetic schedules in life. I don't sleep a lot. That's the first <laughs> thing. And I think my friends and my family are very kind. I mean, they, they indulge me and let me be distracted at times that, you know, they, they're just, they're just kind. It's good to have a good, good support system when you're, when you're busy and doing this. As of this recording, you had mentioned today that the gallery that was quite busy and, um, and so this market and the art market's really booming at this moment. So where do you see this in five years or 10 years? Do you anticipate you've been in business for a long time? And so does it feel like it's been a consistent upward trajectory? I think so. I think there's a little bit of a scatter plot as to everything else in life. So there are dips that come. Uh, we had some significant dips. We opened in 2000, which was a, there was a big recession then. Then again, in 2008, which is when we expanded, there was a big recession. Then, of course, COVID was very, very, very hard for us because people just stopped. And art is something that isn't, you don't, you can't eat it, you can't wear it, you can't put it over your head. It's a, uh, it's a very discretionary expense that very often people say, okay, this is something I'll do without. But since uh, the end of COVID, the market has rebounded. However, the rebound has been, like many other things in life, kind of disproportionately in favor of deader, wealth, uh, older, uh, better established art and artists, and has not been as kind to younger, uh, more contemporary artists, the kinds of folks that I work with. But there is a, uh, I think there is, people have come back to the market and there is more uh, going on. And I think, uh, you know, with those little dips, the general trajectory has been upwards and those dips kind of make the the rise shallower. But it, there is, I can see a distinct rise in the water level. So you mentioned the trend of of sort of these more established dead artists being on the rise a bit right now. Do you notice any other trends? Do you see any other trends in the work, in the contemporary work by by your artists or in this area? So I think contemporary art is kind of returning to its roots in a big way. So today uh, I see in large groupings such as art fairs or even museum shows much more painting, much more traditional in contemporary settings, but narrative work, realistic work, uh, paintings of uh, people, uh, paintings of uh, everyday uh, scenes. In a way, I think uh, realistic art and painting has had a love-hate relationship with contemporaneity ever since the discovery or the invention of the camera. So once you have a device to kind of capture a scene uh, faithfully, why do you need the artistry to do the same thing? And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to this. I think it's just like a pendulum that swings. But today, I think with the selfie and the the phone camera, the iPhone or the Android camera, 
basically everybody is documenting everything all the time. And so I think that there is a feeling that can this documentation be made more special through the eyes and the skill set of an artist. And I think that there is a big resurgence that I see in sort of naturalistic, uh, narrative, realistic art. That's a trend. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, we're just, it's sort of like we're going towards this uncharted territory while also returning to the roots of, of photography and, and naturalistic. That's right. And what about the work of Asian Americans in South Asia? Can you tell me more about the work that they're producing? And, and, and I'm, I presume that they are also a part of your gallery and the work that you're representing. Yep. Yep. So they, uh, their art very often addresses their, the bridge that they are a part of. It uh, addresses uh, the fact that they've grown up straddling two cultures, uh, drawing from both cultures. And that's very often a part of their narrative. And uh, in little references, they'll, uh, you know, they'll bring their Asian American or, or their uh, South Asian American heritage out. Uh, yet they grew up here uh, very often or almost always their uh, training was here. So they went to art schools in the U.S. So it takes different forms. Some people sort of choose materiality. They work with certain forms or certain materials that uh, remind them of their uh, South Asian heritage. Others will have it as little visual clues uh, scattered in their work. But I see this, if you think of, say, South Asian American authors who have become very famous, let's say, Jhumpa Lahiri or something like that, they they write very much in sort of the contemporary American literary tone, but they're constantly referencing, uh, maybe even occasionally throwing in references without a translation. And you have to go and Google that word to figure out that she's referring to her aunt or she's referring to a certain food that she once ate. So I think that the visual arts are like that as well. They are, it's quite rich and different people approach it in different ways. There are several Asian American uh, or South Asian American artists who are doing very, very well in the global context. Uh, in the UK, especially, uh, there's Anish Kapoor, who is, you know, one of the uh, masters. He's a sculptor, but he also does painting. And he he actually grew up in India till he went to college and then has been in the UK since then. In the U.S., there are several. There's an artist we worked with for many years, for eight years, called Salman Tour, uh, who has done very, very well. And uh, just like the authors and the writers, there are people who are making the crossover, but yet sort of part of their brand is their South Asian-ness. So. I love thinking of art as a visual narrative. You know, it's just what you're saying that when you talk about that translation and, and that being able to tell the story. So I'll jump into the last questions. And we ask these at the end of all our podcast interviews. The first question is your dream dinner guest, dead or alive, as few or as many as you'd like. Uh, dream dinner guests, dead or alive, as many as I want. I'm intrigued by life stories of uh, biographies of uh, certain people. 
and sort of tragic life stories and biographies. So I'm not sure whether that would make them good dinner guests uh, or not. But for instance, I don't know, maybe uh, Jim Morrison, Amy Winehouse, Vincent Van Gogh. Actually, if a guest can sing by the end of the dinner, uh, that's usually a plus point for me once they've had a few drinks. Uh, but um, maybe literary, uh, maybe Tagore, the Indian writer and, and poet, maybe Mark Twain. Uh, he's kind of a in the post-Me Too world, sort of damaged goods. But this author called Junior Diaz, who writes about the you know, the Dominican experience in Newark, New Jersey, and I think would have an interesting story. What else? Uh, who else? Lots of people. I'm sure I'm forgetting most people that I would like to have dinner with, just trying to fish out from an eclectic pond. Uh, yeah. I'm just thinking about a duet between um, Jim Morrison and Amy Winehouse. How fabulous would that be? <laughs> That's right. That's right. They both die at the end. So kind of going off of that, what song is the soundtrack of your life? Mm, that varies, really. See, this is a problem. Now that I have these names in my mind, I'm going to come up with a song which is not at all going to be uh, descriptive, but for the rest of the day today, I'll hum it. Maybe Riders in the Storm. That's a great song. Flat or sparkling? Usually sparkling. Okay. What social justice cause is most meaningful to you at this moment? So this is something I have a strong feeling about. I feel that the Native Americans are the most overlooked and most numerically so sort of reduced by the system that is so anti them. That's the group I would say I feel. I mean, I am a person of color. I am a minority and, and I empathize with many, many uh, things. But in the current US context, I just feel that the Native Americans are just forgotten people. They just don't have a large enough political clout to and are have therefore been just a history of the exploitation. And, uh, and as of this recording, the current exhibit that we have on our website is around Native American art. And Josh Knight, who did a lot of the work, we talked about the fact that just even in the art world, there's not a huge amount of emphasis on the artists that are creating work in this area, but it, it cuts yeah, across I'm actually very areas. excited. So we are great minds think alike kind of a moment because for the first time, I'm also showing alongside Abir, the virtuoso painter that I mentioned, uh, showing the work of Jeremy Dennis, which is a first for me. And Jeremy is a Native American. He's Shinnecock and their uh, traditional lands are Long Island, and he still lives on a, a Shinnecock reservation out by, uh, you know, towards the eastern end of Long Island. And we are doing a solo show of his called Open Conflict, and you'll be able to see uh, that on our website as well. So that's a show I'm particularly proud of, very excited by the show, uh, alongside Abir's, which is Jeremy Dennis's. Uh, it's called Open Conflict, and Jeremy is a very exciting, he's a photographer, but he does a lot of post-production work on his photographs and you'll see it. Uh, and it is about land and land rights and, and whose land it is. Uh, so he sets these in very contemporary sort of suburban Long Island settings. 
uh, but you'd have to see the images. They're just fantastic. The New Yorker did a profile on him, which is uh, how I discovered him, and I thought it was an interesting play on the word Indian for me to be showing his art here. And I'm very excited because we applied with him to a fair in Mexico City called Zona Maco, and we got in. Uh, so that's also very exciting. So we'll be bringing his art to, I think, another very important uh, place in the world. So I'm very excited by uh, the Native American art for me for a first uh, that I'm showing in the gallery. Is his exhibit, are you showing his work at this moment or is it a future upcoming exhibit? No, at this moment, we're doing two shows. And as I was telling you, uh, sometimes we do like group shows and second group show and then go to a solo. But in his case, we just did the solo straight off the bat um, because I thought he was ready for it. And uh, you can see it on iconcontemporary.com. You can see his work. In- That's great. And I think, you know, the more that people do exactly what you're doing, what we're trying to do of of exhibiting this work, hopefully it'll become part of the canon a little bit more than it is at this moment. Our last question is, who is your least favorite Supreme Court justice? <laughs> I can think of five, (laughs) even six. It's hard to pick. They're all sort of very committed ideologues who I don't think reflect the broader consensus. Yeah, I I think that if if you really force me to pick one, I would say Alito. Okay, that's a reasonable choice. So how can people find the gallery? Do you have an Instagram, your website, just so that people can go online and see the work? Yeah, all of that. So iconcontemporary, all one word, dot com. And it's spelled A-I-C-O-N. A-I-C-O-N. It's, uh, yeah, it's the standard Japanese model of branding, which is pick an English word and misspell it. (laughs) And uh, so it's iconcontemporary. Dot com is the website. Our Instagram handle is also Icon Contemporary. And we are uh, pretty active on Instagram. That's probably our most active social media. We do have a YouTube channel, but I think that's not as, uh, that was kind of a pandemic thing. We did that for during the pandemic for a while. Yeah, Icon Contemporary, all one word. Great. Well, I encourage everybody to go online and see what you're showing. And thank you so much for your time and being here. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to reach out and let us know your preference for flat or sparkling or anything else you'd like to share, you can find us on Instagram at Bader and Simon Gallery or online at baderandsimon.com where you will find information on current exhibitions and programming. Until next time, have a fabulously artistic day.